I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy Road Studios, in the crap part of Soho, what a big sigh, Rog, is the Men in Blazers podcast. Tired, David. I know, you look tired. I've been up for five straight days. You have? Yeah. Doing what? Editing inside oh. US soccer's march little... to Brazil. It's a good show, Rog. It's, it's worth it. It's an hour-long special. You're providing a service to the American people, to the to American soccer, and to uh, everyone rooting for the Von Trapps this summer. It's an extended special tonight. Yeah, Thursday night, uh-huh. seven o'clock on ESPN. Yeah, because there's been a bit of news. I don't want to do a spoiler alert. There has been a bit of news, and we're going to get to that. I also, Rog, offer red eye. So if I sound a little tired out there, I'm sorry, GFOPs. Um, uh, got back to my apartment this morning, Rog. No water. No water in line A in my apartment building. Yeah. And had to knock, very un-English, had to knock on neighbor's door in 2B, who I have never met before, introduce myself and ask to use their shower. That is an incredible thing. Very nice lady said yes. That is the most... I mean, English people, we, we, can, we can win sea battles against yeah. the Spanish and the Portuguese. We yeah. can... Build an empire. Yeah. I've never or we rarely <laughs> heard of an Englishman brave enough to just knock on their next door neighbor's door and ask for a favor. Well, or to introduce themselves without being introduced by somebody else. It's very, God, very difficult. David, you can, pay more, can I just say one thing about England? Yeah. I haven't seen my children in a week because <clears throat> I've been at, in Stanford in this training <clears throat> camp with the US team. While I was away, they have uh, become obsessed with the history channels, the World Wars, David. Big, big kind of historic Great series, right? Yeah, it's amazing. My kid, youngest kid, yep. middle kid, second kid. Mm-hmm. He How said, many do you have again? A lot. Okay. A lot. They're all little street urchins. They're pickpockets. Uh-huh. They're thieves. They go wilding in Times Square. I'm like Fagin. His three big takeaways when I saw him for the first time in ages yesterday, he said, Hitler. Uh-huh. Couldn't believe he was such a little man. Yeah. He'd always thought it was like a Marvel super comic. He thought he was big. a big bottom big. Massive. And Hitler was a small bottom small. Underwell. Actually, he was a bit of a big bottom small. But it's tough to say in those little Nazi trousers they used to wear. <laughs> they were very enlarging for the backside. Thank you, Hugo Boss. Churchill. <laughs> Churchill. No grudge. He couldn't believe that Churchill was a very wealthy man before he was famous. He yeah. couldn't believe England wasn't a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot to learn. And then the biggest takeaway, he said to me, sorry to be rude, Dad, mm-hmm. but I can't believe that Britain was once a world superpower. And you loved every second of that, didn't no, you? No, he, he had this funny look, aghast, as if, as if I'd told him that John Travolta was once a really, really cool kind of guy that we yeah. all aspired to be like. Oh, there's nothing bad about Churchill, though. God, give me the, give me the class system that brought us Churchill, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. And whatever was wrong with it, it gave us Churchill. It changed the course of human history, Rog. Uh, okay, talking about changing the course of human history. Town Hall tomorrow to, night. Yeah, well, Town Hall tomorrow night. Yeah, changing the course of the U.S. World That's Cup not where destiny. I was going, but we'll go there right now. Yes, Town Hall tomorrow night, honouring the 1994 <sighs> team, the, 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 the men in denim. Lallis. Yes, we got them all. Bob Lee. Yes. An American who has seen so many World Cups. Uh-huh. He, all the way back to when Sepp Blatter was a nice guy. That's yeah. how far back he goes. <laughs> into, yeah. He used to travel by ocean liner to the World Cup, Bob Lee, in the early days. And then we've got members of the U.S. men's national team 2014 squad, the gents whose hands will be on that trophy. Some of whom may or may not have dreadlocks. And I, can, I think we can say. I can say. tell you that we are... Um, we're going to do a spoiler alert. We're going to show action from the actual World Cup. Yep. So if you don't want to know what happens in yep. Brazil in, uh, in June, you shouldn't listen. Well, look, as we have clearly established on our YouTube videos, uh, Roger Grantland videos, uh, the World Cup is fixed. You have sleuthed around FIFA <laughs> headquarters in Switzerland. You've seen the results, and you've even got footage of what happens at the end of the World Cup. Yep, we're going to reveal it all tomorrow. Close your ears if you want it all to be fresh and as if it's really being acted out before you in real time. When I was referring to the changing in the course of human history, Rog, what I was actually referring to was the decision by Jurgen Klinsmann to, uh, to omit Landon Donovan from the final 23. Now, there is still a chance there could still be a serious injury to a player or several players that would, that would mean that he would put Landon Donovan in the side. 23 players. But the soccer, <laughs> but the, the world of US soccer has been in turmoil. I'm not sure if you heard our friend Ray Hudson's rant on Sirius XM that went viral uh, very upset about it. A it lot t- of people. It takes a lot to get Ray Hudson. It does. He does a ranting. very calm, very calm man. Um, but you know, you've had a front row seat, Rog, at 
training camp at this team in uh, as they've travelled around the world preparing for this World Cup. How do you feel about it? I feel, I mean, I put it in the pantheon. I don't like to be hyperbolic, David. No, you never have been. But there's Ned Stark's execution. Mm-hmm. There was the red wedding. Mm-hmm. There was a purple wedding. Yeah. I think this is the red, white and blue wedding, David. Landon Donovan has been executed. Yeah. Yep, yeah, and the media reaction has been absolutely incandescent, which is right, because London Donovan to American soccer, soccer is like what Steve Nash is to Canadian soccer. <laughs> yeah. He's everything, 156 caps, 57 yeah. goals, 58 assists, and one singular strike against Algeria, David, which probably most importantly of all, gave US soccer its most played on sports centre moment. Mm-hmm. So he's a remarkable gent, there is no doubt. I mean, I've interviewed him a bunch. Um, and I don't just admire him as a soccer player, but I admire him as a human being when he talks about what he needed and why he needed a break, a very courageous thing to do. Uh, and I think something that anybody who's in a job that's a grind um, in, in a life where they feel a little bit trapped can really relate to. Having said that, Dave, there's the rational um, and there's the emotional. And I think what Jürgen's done is incredibly uber-rational. I've watched them in training a lot. And making this film, you realize how little access we normally have to teams yeah you know we normally see them for 15 minutes in training <coughs> we always we say do. we always say about soccer when we're questioning decisions is like you don't get to see them in training you have seen them in training i have i've seen them a lot in training and to a little extent i mean you saw him in the mexico game um in phoenix it looked like landon donovan's head had been stuck on my body um and jürgen wants a team for brazil this incredibly hot climate that he's going to be playing these games in that's fast-paced that can play two-way football um and as an emotional people we think of landon the emotional landon the remarkable landon the blonde-haired youth who broke through with the under 17 team i mean just a hero time and time again for the u.s team pulling it out over and over and then there's the the, the landon of the present um and that's it i think i think you look at a gentleman who still holds sway over the young guys, he's still very much a, uh, an influential figure within the camp. Um, and you have to think, if he wasn't going to start for this team um, and things didn't get off well, um, what uh, possibly he could do to the culture of the team. Because he and Jürgen have never got on. If you look at the full sway of Jürgen and Landon, Jürgen became the coach. He said, I want everyone to push themselves to the best of their ability. I want everyone to get out of their comfort zone. I want everyone to go forward, next level, next level. And around that time, Landon's like, all right, guys, I've got to take a break. Got to take a break. Got to t- have some time off. And Jürgen never really understood that. He always said, you take a break when your career is done. Mm-hmm. Savor every moment of football. He loved this football. Landon hasn't loved this football. And they were on a collision course. He dropped him from the, uh, from the team uh, when Landon came back. I remember interviewing Landon when the first World Cup qualifying squad after he returned was called. He didn't know if he was in it or not. And he kept checking my Twitter to see if the team had been announced, if he was going to be in the team. He wasn't. Uh, he then had to play Gold Cup football, which I think he did with a real nobility because it was somewhat of a punishment. Uh-huh. And he was held out as an example, um, like uh, like a little child tearing off fly apart, uh, almost tortured. Um, but I have to say, inside, even though the media reaction has been absolutely apoplectic, and, and, and then he goes and poetically scores the MLS goals, the team have moved on. Tim Howard said, within the group, the ball got rolling again. Once it was on the pitch, it became business as usual. It sounds harsh, but you don't have the opportunity to wallow in who's here and who's not. Michael Bradley said, you know, the 23 set, we now look around and we know who we're going to Brazil with. And Kyle Beckerman said, you know, we stressed about who would make the 23. Now we're all trying to stress about who makes the starting 11. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So, Look, I take your point, And I do believe that the time has come to move forward from this. But I can't leave the whole idea that it's only the people who... who who are concerned, who are, you know, to some extent outraged about Landon being left out, that that is just emotional over rational. I think there's also a rational case for taking the most experienced World Cup outfield player in the squad, the guy who scored five goals at the World Cup, the guy who I've seen in person playing World Cup matches and has frankly looked a class apart from every other player on the US team and often the best player on the actual field as he's played. And Landon still has that. A World Cup is so different than a regular friendly or a club game. It's 31 days of a tournament where you need special players in special moments to seize the day, just as he did in those final moments against Algeria. And 
I cannot believe that really they can look, Jürgen can look at those other 23 players and say that every single one of them has the ability, every single one of them has the ability to change a key moment in a key match at a key time for the US more than Landon Donovan. Can't believe it. I agree with what you're saying. That makes sense to me. But at the same time, when you interviewed Landon, the messages he was putting out ahead of the, over the past month when we sat down with him and interviewed him was, I'd like to go to the World Cup. Didn't say it very convincingly. And then he quickly, of his own accord, said, if I don't go, I'll be the team's greatest cheerleader. One thing Jürgen does when he looks at that 23 now, each of them literally would push themselves to the limits to get to Brazil. And that, that I never understood Landon's messaging, just as I didn't understand if Landon was not going to make the 23. And I have a feeling they've known for some time he's not going to make the 23 at US soccer. Why they just didn't nip this yes, in the bud? Agreed. Give him a dignified exit. Give yeah, him a dignified that, that he deserves. Ashley that Cole. he warrants. Give him an opportunity to go out on his terms. Hats off. Let's celebrate what this gentleman has given us all. Given US soccer. Given us all so much pleasure. Agreed. Uh, that, that, that is a mystery, and, and that is the big question. The, to me, that's the open wound. I think sometimes, though, we do expect players to go and speak in a certain way. We want to hear athletes with the bravado to go and do it. They're going to show us the fire and brimstone. They're going to, like, scream, yes, USA, USA, USA. Landon has never been that kind of a guy. He's a silent assassin. He's a baby-faced killer in the key moments. And I don't think he was going to change his spots. I do agree that the relationship, obviously, between him and Klinsman was never there. I do think that Landon was still popular amongst the camp. I th- still think he was popular amongst his players, as popular in a competitive camp as any player can be, as any senior leader can be. But I think the fact is, now is the time. I think we've seen with the friendly against Azerbaijan, uh, land of fire, how <laughs> Jürgen is going to allow his team, how he's going to position Bradley in a further forward uh, role. He's going to use um, uh, Zuzi and Bedoya on the wings, doing a lot of work, moving front and back, working very hard. And it's actually tough to see how exactly Landon would have fitted in, certainly with a fit Clint Dempsey, into that starting eleven. Yeah, I mean, last thing I'll say is that one of the sad parts, other than the fact that Landon didn't get the dignified exit, was that several people who did make the 23 and I think should be lauded and celebrated for doing so, they were somewhat overshadowed. Kyle mm. Beckerman... Yeah. whose dream since he was a kid yeah. uh, has been to get to the World Cup. Aaron Johansson, a mm. phenomenal player, remarkable bloke. Brad Davis, who really came into camp and struggled unbelievably ambitiously uh, to get his way in. Wando uh, Yedlin, who's a fast player. I mean, he was at the Under-20 World Cup this time last year. If you ask mm. him, do you dream then that you'd be at the World Cup? He'll look at you honestly and say no, and never even thought about it. And, of course, our own favourite, David Mix-Discord, Nordic Messi. Great gentle. Yeah, good. Well, anyway, US men's national team, um, you know, right in the middle of it, Rog. Your series continuing to follow them up to the minute. 2-0 against Azerbaijan this week. Uh, Next up for them? Turkey. New York City. Yes. Sunday. Can't wait. Can't wait for that, Rog. So, uh, anyway. Sorry, let me say that again. They yeah. will beat. They will destroy. They will okay, annihilating Turkey on Sunday at Red Bull. Right? Okay, so uh, in place of our regular podcast this week, Rog, we are continuing to do what we've been doing and, and uh, playing audio versions of uh, our Grantland YouTube World Cup previews. I'm, I'm very happy to do that. What I don't understand is why you make me read them out live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Or how they're going to do animation on the radio. That's actually the much, uh, the, the much harder thing. The future's in glove puppets. Maybe. Many people have been asking us when Men in Blazers is going to move to an all-animation format. Or fully automated. We would love that. <laughs> we, would be, we would be first in line <sighs> like to Like Siri, Rogi. Last week, Rog, we played USA, England. Yes. Argentina yes. and Spain. <laughs> this Tate. week, Tate. this week we're going to go in with who many believe, yes. and maybe half of us believe, is going to win the World Cup. The host nation Brazil. Yep, absolutely and complete. And by the way, one of the nice things about doing these on audio is yeah. you don't have to watch you throw me under the cuff bus. Okay, can I just say something about that right now? Because in the last uh, of the last two weeks, since you and Mrs. B have accused me of throwing you under the cuff bus, yeah. I've spoken to many people. Uh-huh. I've spoken to my um, various of my role models, my star log icons, uh, and to men around the world who've all agreed, <laughs> literally to the man, have agreed on one thing, that every man is responsible for his own cuffs. And the suggestion that anybody else is responsible for their cuffs other than the man himself 
It's just, it's just not fair. They have a great partnership. Starsky and Hutch comes to mind. Yeah. Glover and uh, that mad one, Gibson, Lethal Weapon. Got your back, got yeah. your cuff. <laughs> got your back, got your what cuff. What would the solution have been? You had one blazer. Yeah, which was fresh. I'm wearing it now. <laughs> Look. I've got elastic bands on my sleeves. But your protection. cuffs are still halfway. You're showing not only the entire barrel cuff, uh-huh. but you're showing half of your sleeve up to your elbow. That's how everyone will be wearing them. Bob Lee was wearing them like this. <laughs> Stephen Colbert was wearing them like this. Everyone keeps sending me. See, Anyone on trend. television who has got massive cuffs. P- GFOPs have been sending uh-huh. me photos of themselves. A number of you are lawyers who've uh-huh. gone into court with extended cuffs. <laughs> I've got a feeling Tom Brown is going to... He's bored of the, of the high pants. He's going to be doing the long Look cuffs, Dave, next cuffs. spring. That's basically perfect, right there. You know uh, each man is responsible got your for back, his own cuffs. Got your cuffs, Dave. Responsible for his own cuffs. Brazil. From the Grandland Studios in the crap part of Los Angeles, this is the Men in Blazers World Cup preview for Brazil. Rod, Brazil... The host nation. Oh, I can smell it, David. What does it smell like? Petrochemicals and Dracon Noir. Oh, it does. Brazil, interesting country, Rog. Latin America's largest economy, iron, petroleum, soybeans, their largest exports. And, Rog, the 2014 mascot is named Fuleco. It's an armadillo that defends itself by rolling up into a tiny ball. Oh, sounds like the England national football team. Pretty much. So, Rog, World Cup record. More than impressive. It's an alternate way of looking at the history of the World Cup itself. They've won it five times. One of only two nations to repeat as champions. You know, no one has come close to their record. They are the Lakers, they are the Celtics, they are the Chicago Bulls of the World Cup combined. Yeah, but they've not just won, David. They've won in an inimitable style. Yes. With this mono-named, endless supply of stars. Pele, Garincha, Kaka, Ronaldo. The world has fallen in love with its footballing style, Cirque du Soleil kind of football, which is part samba, part yeah. capoeira, part favela in equal measure. Yeah. Uh, but even America's fallen in love with them, probably because every time the camera pans the crowd, it looks like there's just Victoria's Secret supermodels who just conveniently happen to be there. As opposed to when the US play, for instance, where the cameras randomly only seem to pick out an obese ginger who's just dropped an ice cream down the front of his smock. Nothing wrong with that. The Joga Bonita, Rog, who can... Forget that team. Starting 1970, Carlos Alberto, Tostao, Jazinho, Pelé. Beautiful. Their timing was unbelievable. That was the first World Cup to be broadcast in colour. Yeah. That jersey, it was made for Technicolor. Yeah, I was four years old, Roger. I was just learning my colours. When I think of the colour <laughs> yellow, I don't think of Norwich City. I don't think of New York City taxi cabs. I don't think of bananas even, Rog. I think of that Brazil shirt that perfect yellow even yeah. when they bounced early yeah they were still moral victors 1982 oh. junior mm-hmm. socrates zico falcao yes i mean they lost to the italians yeah. a team who they later admitted were not better but were more pragmatic more efficient but they were such a team of poets dave such a team of poets that they were long held afterwards to be moral victors they scored 15 goals in that world cup that were Perhaps the most beautiful collection of goals ever scored at a World Cup. Scored with every part of the foot. The inside of the foot, the outside of the foot, the top of the foot, the bottom of the foot. Parts of the foot that we didn't even know in England even existed. They hadn't been invented in England We didn't have feet, hardly. There is one other World Cup that we're not mentioning, which is probably among the most important of all. 1950. Last time they played it on home soil. When... Brazil wanted to announce itself to the world as now mm-hmm. and then failed in the final game against rivals Uruguay. Loss at the Maracana Stadium, which Nelson Rodriguez, the kind of Shakespeare of Brazil, a man who is probably about twice as hyperbolic as me, if you can, <laughs> uh, if you can believe that, he said was our national tragedy yep. in a nation without wars. That loss, Davo, was our Hiroshima. This team. You were at the Confederations Cup. You had a little bit of an issue with the police. In the face. But it's all, it's all in the clear now. How did they look at the Confederations Cup? I thought they looked pretty good. Well, there were two Brazils. There was a Brazil going into that World yeah. Cup. Brazil won. They had no identity, no confidence, no belief. The nation distanced itself from the team. The ranking was slipping. Yeah. Brazil was out of the world top ten for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Neymar, the nation's hero, was booed off by his own fans at Belo Horizonte. Yeah. But then... Social unrest took over the nation. The cities burned themselves down. And this team became a symbol of all that was good. At Fortaleza, the second game, FIFA cut off the national anthem, as they do, Uh after the first verse. And the whole stadium rose up and sang that second beautiful verse in a way... I mean, honestly, it made Kid Rock look unpatriotic. Single tear down Oscar's face. And then Oscar went 
and he took on the Mexicans and he absolutely destroyed them. And then they turned on their opposition in every game like hungry direwolves, absolutely mm-hmm. devoured them. And from then on, the nation got behind the team. It was Neymar pandemonium. Mm-hmm. And even the Spanish, they rolled over in the final. And the nation began to believe. So there's a new confidence. There's a reconnection between the fans and this team. And there's a belief that Brazil could do what they did in 1950. Can they? Yeah, a lack of experience, Roger. There's something you're going to hear a lot as we move into the World Cup. Only three players probably are going to be there in the, the squad that went to 2010. That could be a good thing. But a general lack of experience. Some young players, David Luiz, Little Oscar and Neymar, who they are counting on a lot. Yeah, I mean, Neymar, 22, from Barcelona. He looks like a soccer player that's been ripped from a manja cartoon boy. <laughs> Unbelievable bloke. Had a very dark year at Barcelona, not just played eclectically, but it's also been controversial. He is returning to those shores with the weight of a nation uh, on his shoulders. Can he do it? 22 is incredibly young mm-hmm. uh, for a talisman to lead uh, a team to victory. Pele was 17 in well, 1958. Nobody's done it even close to that since then. He plays a very interesting role. This is a defence-first Brazil team. Yeah. Pele himself said the key player is Thiago Silva, mm. uh, the defender. They play a whip-smart counter-attack, which Neymar launches. And and to show you how he's not playing the flamboyant game, he drew the most fouls in the Confederation Cup, but he was also the individual who gave away the most fouls, so he's not afraid of putting his foot in and doing the dirty work. The big question for me is, how is this team going to score at the Confederation's Cup? Fred, probably the least romantically money-named Brazilian of all time, he sounds like an English miner, became the nation's superstar. He's since sunk without a trace. They may recycle an old Manchester City retread Joe. Oh, Joe. They could be looking for goals from Hulk, one of my favourites, a gentleman so large, he wears a massive gold chain that I always yeah. want to take off and just wrap around my stomach. I could wear it as a belt. Uh-huh. They have tiny, weeny, smurfish little Bernard. Oh, we love little Bernard. We love pick, small. You could pick him up and pop him into one of Hulk's socks. Neymar, maybe. though, 30 goals in 47 games. Uh, in a Brazil shirt. I'm more worried about their defence, Rog. Um, you know, you look at a player like David Luiz, he can't even make Chelsea's back line. I'm not quite sure that he's going to be good enough uh, when the World Cup comes. Well, the problems all lie in the, the mind of one man, no, big Phil, Phil Scolari, the manager. Won it for them in 2002. And they brought him back and paired him with Pereira, the 1994 winner. They love their old winners in Brazil. They've lifted them up and said they're two sides of a victorious coin. Big Phil, who does he look like? Oh, Gene Hackman. He's very aggressive with the press, no time for criticism, and he's come out very strongly on the debate between Brazilian football being beautiful or pragmatic. He said there's only one kind of beautiful football, and that is... Winning. Will they win, Dave? Will they win? There's only one way to find out. Science. So the cupcakes. The World Cupcakes. Here we go. Okay, World Cupcakes. We're going to taste it, and they will then be able to predict exactly how Brazil are going to finish. Okay, you ready? Go. Mmm. Bananas. Mine's got a hint of Neymar's undercarriage. (laughs) Mine's fishy. I didn't realise that was Neymar's undercarriage. I'll tell you what I'm seeing is they're going to go back to the final, Rog. They're going to lose to the mighty Von Trapps, the US men's national team. I'm tasting the very same thing. They are going to lose in the Maracana once more, Dave, in 1950. We'll repeat it, Tim. Okay, Rog, that was Brazil. Yes. I've still got the taste of that cupcake in my mouth. You do. A little bit of Neymar's undercarriage, as you called it. I loved, I love me some cup, World Cup cakes. <laughs> we love them coming soon to a, uh, to a mailbox near you. Um, so, Rog, next. Yep. Deutschland. Mm-hmm. Don't recoil. Germany. Germany calling. Uh, it's just football, David. It is just, priv- just football. You know, a team that's got some injury troubles going into this World Cup. Yeah. Got some issues. Uh, Miroslav Klose, one of our favourite players. He's about 64 now going into this World Cup. That's what his passport says. But yeah, but still, give, give or take 10. But still a dynamic team. And I think we can safely say a team who are likely to be there or thereabouts. Thereabouts the being second place probably <laughs> by the end of this World Cup. From the Grandland Studios in the crap part of Los Angeles, this is the Men in Blazers World Cup preview. Your folks, Kleinermachen. Oh, guten Tag. Mein Herr. <laughs> Germany, Rog, the largest economy in Europe, largest producer of lignite in the world. Mercedes, Audi, Volkswagen, BMW, Adidas, uh, all come from Germany. Do we, uh, either of us know what lignite is, do No, you? no idea, but they are the largest producer of it 
in the world. This is their 18th World Cup, other than 1930 when they didn't even care to enter, and 1950 when they were banned on account of their propensity to start world wars. They have participated in every World Cup, Germany or West Germany. They won it in 54, 74 and 1990. They came in second place in 1966, 1982, 1986 and 2002. Always the bloody Germans, Rog. But when I think of Germany and I ignore history, I think of <laughs> castles, schlosses, leaplings in Lederhosen and Nena, Rog, 99 Luftballon. Who can forget that hit? Germany dominated football in the 1980s. They were consistent. They were organised. They were ruthless. They were determined. They were like the Walmart of European football. Yeah, Gary Lineker once quipped, Rog, football is a simple game in which 22 men chase a ball for 90 minutes and at the end, the Germans win. It always happened. In the 70s and 80s, they played grim, determined, consistent football, Rog. But as always, you could never beat them. They're like a villain in a horror movie. They're like the... They're, they're, they're like Darth Vader. Just when you think they're dead, they always come back and they always skin you. I, I'm trying to think of moments of joy watching Germany in that period. They were few and far between as an Englishman. There's one that comes to mind. Yeah. 1990, yeah. they played Holland, massive grudge match. Oh, Rotterdam. Rotterdam. Frank Rickard yeah. somehow took Rudi Voller, the symbol of everything I despised about Germany, he had like a blonde perm and an incredible poor name moustache. Yeah. Frank Rickard went up behind him and spat. He cleaned out his throat and then spat in his direction. Yeah, but this was pre-HD. But even then in SD, you could see yes. the little... It the flew through the air. It, it flew flipped, like that. It flipped. And he did it again. Yeah. Uh, when they're Twice. Off. Somehow the referee turned out and sent them both off. Yeah. Which was just a magic, magic moment in my life. I mean, the funny thing about Germany, 1990... Beckenbauer, who was then their coach, the legendary player. Yeah, their Kaiser. Uh, in the giddiness of victory, he turned around and said, now the wall is down, East Germany will play with West Germany, will be unbeatable forever. They've never won again. Jürgen Klinsmann Rodge was part of that World Cup winning team, did something I thought I'd never see. He turned the 2006 World Cup German team into a young, bold, attack-minded, free-flowing team that, frankly... I fell in love with. A German team you couldn't help but admire. Who would have thought that? It sort of changed the way we viewed that team forever. I hated the fact that they knocked England out in 2010, but frankly, they deserved it. Can they do it now in 2014? This squad, Rog, stocked like a trout farm with talent from Bayern Munich. Uh, players who are used to losing once or twice a year. Manuel Neuer, Rog, in goal. Bastian Schweinsteiger, Tony Cruz, uh, Thomas Müller, Philipp Lahm. All of these Munich players seem to be the centre of that team. A lot of it, Dave, is in the hands of Jürgen Love, mm -hmm. the manager. He loves a style of German football, gegenpressing, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, where every player chases a ball, presses from the front like a manic labradoodle let loose in the park. It's exhausting. It can leave you exposed at the back. Yeah. They played Sweden in the friendly recently. They were 4-0 up, uh, and they let in four goals against Sweden, Dave, four goals uh, in the last... Uh, 30 minutes of the game. And there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of doubt. They love Jürgen Love, but after the way Germany went out in Euro 2012 undone by the brilliance of Mario Balotelli and the Italians, yeah. there's a certain feeling that he has to prove uh, that this is his time. Pressure's yeah. on. He loves the attacking, flowing football. He yeah. loves his gig and pressing. He loves equipping the rest of the coaches in coordinated pantsuits as if they're an all-boy band on the Romanian version of The Voice. Yeah, some say he lacks the pragmatism to go all the way. German's not used to having to wait uh, 18 years for silverware. Pressure is certainly on him, swirling doubts over the mental ability for the first time of this team to actually deliver. Philip Lahm, what he does with Philip Lahm, is he going to play him at the back? Is he going to play him in midfield? Who is going to be another German player who really emerges? Ozil, not particularly beloved by the German fans right now. They just booed him off in Stuttgart, didn't yeah. they? I mean, Philip Lahm is going to be the key. He's a very versatile player. This German team has had so many injuries in the midfield. Gundogan, uh, Kadira, all fighting to get back into the team. If they play Philip Lahm in the middle, they're going to leave themselves cruelly exposed at the back. It's what the rest of the world outside of Germany, Davo, calls a cruel Sophie's choice. Organisation, though, Rog, you mentioned it earlier. The Germans are always organised when they go to a World Cup, and this time is no exception. They live methodical, tactical, down to the second organisation. They, out of all the teams, have decided not to take a Brazilian base camp. They're going to build their own. They built a 65-room headquarters. Yep, brick by brick by brick, but they're building it with Brazilian labourers. Uh, Shock horror, Dave. Uh, oh. The building is delayed. <laughs> it's late. And there's a serious point here. 
Uh, I mean, Jurgen Klinsmann calls Brazil. He says it's going to be the World Cup of patience. Yeah. He says everything's going to go wrong, and the team that wins is a team that can roll with it. And he laughed when he told me that. Mm -hmm. He said Germans don't really do rolling with it. It's going to be very interesting to see if they can adapt their mindset. OK, Roger. Well, the Germans always seem to be there or thereabouts at the end of a tournament. We've got to see how far they're going to go to the World Cup case. The most menacing World Cup cake. I'll tell you, this one does look terrifying. What does it contain? It tastes like leather lederhosen crotch, David. Oh, you know, that's not good. That tastes like a bad night in Munich. Oh, you know, Pele has given this team the kiss of death. He's proclaimed Germany as his pick Ugh. to win it all. That tastes of a semi-final exit, David. I think it's a quarter-final exit, Rog. Alice Good. Uh, Nick here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Rog, Germany. Let's, yeah. let's move down south. Let's, let's drive down through Munich. Let's go over the border. Mm, road trip. Let's go over the border. Near, I think you go near Austria. You might go near Liechtenstein and you head and you see the signs towards Verona through the German-speaking parts of northern Italy. That are we always in the car? Me out are we in the bit. car or are we in a tank? We're in... We're, we're, well, <laughs> it depends if we're English or German in this scenario. But I believe we are English and we're in a car. We might have picked up a nice Mercedes or BMW from European delivery services in Munich or Stuttgart. And we're driving down towards Verona to Italy. From the Grandland Studios in the crap part of Los Angeles, it's the Men in Blazers World Cup preview, one of my favourite countries, Rog. Il Postino. Italy. I love it there. I love the country. I love their football. Uh, their economy, Rog, it's the world's eighth largest, though northern Italy accounts for more than 90% of the exports. They invented that we aerial... know about. Oh, they invented aerial warfare, Rog. The first use of airplanes in an actual war occurred in the 1911 Italo... Is that the Italo-Turkish war? Oh, we love the Italo-Turkish oh, war. Poetry was underrated. We talk about it all the time. But this is their 18th World Cup. They won it in 1934, 1938, 1982 and 2006. They were runners-up in 1970 and 1994. Tight of jersey. Yeah, they don't they don't love tight jerseys. Flowing of hair. Capelli Yeah. Flowing of beard. Oh, they have excellent beards. La Barba. Azzurri by Giorgio Armani. I love Italian football. Two gears at the World Cups, Rog. They're either terrible or they win it all. But they always start badly, Davis. So it's yeah. almost impossible to tell at the outset. Yeah, they could be home before their postcards. But the uh, style of yeah. Italian football, when we were growing up, how do you remember it? Because as an Englishman, watching Italians play football, it was a, it was a revelation. Well, it's defensively so solid. I mean, Catanaccio, the idea of locking up a game, not allowing other people to score because you're so afraid of losing. But at the same time, sublime moments of individual skill where the players just express themselves so beautifully and lots of that. The thing I love about this Italian team, and I've always loved, yeah. there's Italy, complex place. It is regionally riven. Yeah. Everyone hates everybody else. In fact, when you go to Italy, you see the European flag more often than you see the Italian flag. But the Italian mainly see the regional flag. national team yeah. is one of the only national symbols that everybody gets behind. If you only watch five minutes of this World Cup, make it five minutes before Italy play. You're going to see Gigi Buffon. He's about 124. He's not even such a good goalkeeper anymore. I'm convinced they only have him in the side to sing <laughs> that national anthem. he can sing the national anthem. He bellows it. He, bell he makes Ted Nugent look like he hates America the way he sings it. It brings a tear to my non-Italian eye. I'll tell you, I, I'm non-Italian. I've often felt great affinity since I fell in love with Rossi the Ice Cream Man when I was a little boy and I thought that he might actually be my real father. <laughs> but I love all things Italian. I don't like the way they dive. I don't like the way they roll around. I they don't have like a name the, for it. Furbo. I don't like that. They lord it. I don't like that at all. Other than that, I love everything about Italian football. The, I'm going to speak to the partially Italian part of you. Yeah. You've not got such a star-studded team. Yeah, no, we don't, not Cup. at all. You have a very tactically flexible mm -hmm. team. Absolutely fascinatingly complex. They can adjust uh, to any kind of opponent. You have a very interesting mix of the experienced uh, and the youth. And the player I love more oh. than any other, possibly... Professorio. Andrea Polo. He is more interesting than the most interesting man in the he world. He has more cool in his little finger than the entire families of one direction uh -huh. over the past 12 generations. I adore that man. He's suave, he's sophisticated, he's a poet. 
He can thread a ball through an area as tight as a plumber's crack. He's a brilliant, he's a brilliant footballer. He looks like he's been teleported back from the Medici age. They're defensively superb, Rog. You know I love a central defender, uh, Giorgio Chiellini. Who is more Roman than Juve's Giorgio Chiellini? He's like cut from steel, that man, cut from granite. And so, so solid at the back. The Italians leaked just five times, just five goals in qualifying. Well, that's better than the pens, David. Oh, yeah, the adult diaper. <laughs> I see where you're going with that, Rog. Uh, striker, Mario Balotelli, we should say, one of the great characters of Italian football. It's not had much of a season. Yes, and he's a maverick, even by Italian standards. He's yeah. a man who orders bronze statue after bronze statue of himself. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Slight challenge, complicated season. Italy starting to wonder whether Giuseppe Rossi, New Jersey's finest, will yep. return from fitness. There's even rumours that Cassano, Antonio Cassano, will come back to play a false nine role. All of this, all of this is going to be in the hands of one of my favourite managers in world so football. So many amazing coaches, managers at this World Cup, Rog. The Italian coach, Prandelli, certainly no exception. Adore that man. When it was at Euro 2012, the night before every game, he walked 20, 30 miles to a Catholic church to pray before every game. Mm-hmm. He's suave. He's sophisticated. He's enforced an idea of creative, possession-hungry football on an Italian team that has resisted it in the past. And the thing I love about him is his eternal optimism. We will see him in the Premier League very shortly, but here's why I believe Italy are going to have a great World Cup. He also told you that he's going to take his 23 best athletes, not his 23 best footballers. They're drawn in this very, very tough group with England, with Uruguay, with Costa Rica. Where every team is just going to try and beat England by a lot of goals to get through on goal difference. How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) Nobody's got to go and play in Manaus, got to go and play in very, very tough conditions. But he seems that I think the Confederations Cup experience is going to be invaluable for this Italian team. Another thing that's invaluable, this yeah. Italian team shirt, apparently, according to the PR hype, it gives mm-hmm. each of their players special micro-massages as they run around the field. Really? I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. If my shirt was giving me a micro-massage, I would immediately, World Cup or no World Cup, just lie face down on the turf, light a joystick, <laughs> and listen to some music, Dave. Are Italy going to have a happy ending? I think they're going to do quite well, but there's only one way to tell scientifically how well they're going to do. We've got to go to the World Cup game. What a beautiful cupcake the Italian cupcake is. Mm, I love Italian food. I feel like I'm in the Sopranos. Come on. Mm, it tastes like a great super Tuscan. Mmm. Mmm. You know, Italian football is complicated. That's they a do lovely terrible cupcake. when they're expected to do well. When nothing's expected of them, they go all the way. That tastes like quarterfinals, at least, David. I think they'll start slowly. I think they'll lose to England in the opening game. But then I think they'll do very, very well. I think they'll get out of the group. I think this team is a potential finalist, Rog. Ciao. Italians, David. Love them. Love my Italians. They're very like English, but suave. Yeah. More sophisticated. Yeah. More stylish. Yeah. They're more appreciative of the great things in life. You know, since we've been making that YouTube video, I have been on a frantic search to find Mr. Rossi, again, the ice cream man who used to uh, populate the streets of South East London. Still, every time I hear that song, Rog, I just think of Mr. Rossi, perhaps my father, <laughs> and uh, run out there. Just the greatest ice cream. A man who was so much nicer to me. All of my mates used to remark on it. He was so much nicer to me than any other kids in the neighbourhood. His stop for his ice cream van was right outside the front door of our house. Yeah. And it didn't used to be. It just suddenly started to be right One outside our house. One of these days, house. this penny is going to drop. Oh, day, Mr. Rossi, I, I, I miss you. I love you, wherever you are. Uh, does it, remember Steve Buscemi directed that movie Trees Lounge. Yeah. It's one of my favourite f- films. And there's a great line, the ice cream seller in it, when he, uh, he pulls out, he shouts out, I love you all. To the children, he goes, and I love your mothers. <laughs> yeah, well. So I think of when I think of Mr. Rossi, aka oh, your dad. Yeah, great man, Mr. Rossi. Uh, okay, we're going to get back in our car right now, Rog, yeah. and we're going to drive up through Italy. Yeah. We're going to go over the border again near Liechtenstein and Austria, yeah. and we go up through Munich. We're going to drive up all the way up through Dusseldorf and all that places and Bremen, I think, and places in the sort of northwest. And we're going to cross the border. It's like car talk meets George Michael we're Sports. We're going to cross the border. I think we're going to go in right at the top near Hörningen. And we're going to go into Holland and work our way down lower and lower and lower, further and further below sea level uh, until we journey <laughs> through the <laughs> <laughs> low countries. 
From the Grand Land Studios in the crap part of Los Angeles, this is the Men in Blazers World Cup preview. Rog, the Low Countries. How low can you go, David? Les Pays-Bas. They're so low, Rog. Most of them are below sea level. Belgium and Holland, much of them speak roughly the same language. It's a lot of ha, 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 ha. Anyway, we're going to start with Holland, Rog, the Netherlands. Uh, historically, the Dutch <laughs> introduced and invented the stock market. Today, Rog, they're the leaders in tulip production. They're very good at football, and they've been very good at the World Cup. This is their 10th World Cup appearance. They came in second oh, in 1974, beautiful. 1978, oh, and 2010. Less beautiful. Belgium, this is their 12th World Cup. Their highest position ever was fourth place in 1986. They have not qualified for the last two cups. And Belgium, I believe, produces 172,000 tons of chocolate each year. But onto the football. Holland, first of all, Rod. Yeah, I mean, there's two types of Dutch team that turn up at a World Cup. There's the avant-garde, flamboyant style of football. There's also the welcome to the dollhouse style, where they simmer and tear each other apart. Plenty of skill. Um... But the sort of temperament is always in question with this Dutch team. It goes back to Cruyff, absolutely brilliant as a footballer. Mm. Incredibly abrasive, very temperamental, very individualistic. The great writer, David Winner. Yeah, brilliant orange, love that book. Phenomenal book. He traces it to Holland's Calvinist roots. Yeah. Uh, He said that the theology there is read the Bible yourself, come to your own conclusions. This Dutch side has always been like that. The cliche is, whatever the team is, there's always 12 coaches. Yeah. When we think about... Dutch football, though, as sort of Englishmen, we think of the 1974 World Cup, we think of total football, that passing game, passing it all over the field, angles, beauty, movement, creativity. We were told you just had to boot it forward as Yeah, to the centre forward, and the Dutch played such different football. And that one turn in the 1974 World Cup where uh, Johan Cruyff just did a turn that we'd never even seen in football before. He made his head and his upper torso go one way, his legs and the other. The Swedish defender he posterised said it wasn't embarrassing to be remembered for that moment because Kreef is such a genius. It was an honour. He was Barishnikov in boots. Yeah. His passing was like Pythagoras. Dutch football can be like that. This team can be like this. Yeah. I mean, under Louis van Gaal, the Iron Tulip, they rolled off 17 games straight. They cruised into this World Cup. They have enough... Attacking talent, slightly injured, but back Robin van Persie. Yeah. Wesley Schneider. Yeah. Iron Robin. All men who are used to having a system built around them. Mm -hmm. Which one is going to seed so they can unify? But why are they not more fancied at this World Cup? Well, look, I think partly there's a hangover from the 2010 World Cup where in the final, instead of really playing football against Spain, they tried to kick them off the park. And so I think it's a little bit of hangover there. But the Dutch, and you and I were both just in Holland, they want to see their team play attractive football. And no one is the leader of that brand of football more than this man, whose left arm is never at his side. It's always waving in the air as he waves his dodgy flapper, Iron Robin, as he speeds past the defender, always cuts inside, waves his dodgy flapper, hypnotizes the defender who looks into the vortex of the flat. Never look into the vortex. Never look into the vortex of the flat, and he cuts inside. And a lot of the hope for Holland is going to be behind this balding winger. Unfortunately, the rest of the team seemed to hate him. Against yeah. Germany, fell over with a gash on the head. The rest of the team walked around him like sharks, seeming hell-bent on ripping the wound even further open. And that, I think, is what undermines this Dutch team. They kind of all hate each other. In Euro 2012, they imploded. Robin van Persie, it was like mean girls. He was like Katie Heron. Wesley Schneider undermined him as if he was a leader of the plastics. Chemistry, chemistry, chemistry is always a problem with this team. The other big problem... Well, van Gaal, his back line, he's been shuffling through defenders trying to stitch it together. Then Roma's Kevin Struman goes down with a crucial injury. And now they're drawn in a group with Spain and Chile. Very, very rare that the two finalists from the last World Cup are drawn together in the, in the, same, uh, in, in the same qualifying groups. It's I really was just difficult. in Holland. I think morale there, shockingly, for their team was lower than the sea level in Zwid's last power, which is seventh below. Mm-hmm. Johan Cruyff was in the newspapers while I was there himself saying, this team is too young, it's too inexperienced, we're not going to get out, and if we do, it will be an unbelievable achievement. So certainly, despite their fourth-place finish, In 1986, Belgium have always been the underdogs in the low countries. They've always been below Holland. And yet going into this World Cup, there's a lot of money in the betting shops across Europe on Belgium potentially being the first European team to go and win the World Cup in South America ever. Yeah, they have so much skill, 
too much skill. Too many people are calling them a dark horse for them to be a dark horse. I see. I see. I see. Rene Magritte. I see Plastic Bertrand. Rog. Oh. Just look at the Premier League Belgians. Rog. Simon Mignolet, uh, Courtois on loan from Chelsea to Atletico Madrid. Vasson Company, their talismanic captain, the defender. Vertonghen, Vermaelen, Eden Hazan, Marouane Fellaini, uh, Romelu Lukaku, Morales from your it's beloved Everton. Adnan has declared he's Belgian after all this. I mean, this is the product of a golden generation from a tiny country, less than 11 million. It's smaller than Ohio. Uh, the, the team has a combined net transfer fee. I think it's only third behind Brazil and Portugal. It raises a question, why have they not terrorised world football teams before? Slight problem, Belgium, a country divided between Flemish and Walloon. This is a team divided. They've really hated on each other. Well, Different meaning they speak two languages. They speak Flemish and they speak French. Well, they all sound... <laughs> yeah, well, the so ha, you ha, and me, ha, ha, ha uh, But they have different press conferences, different dinner tables. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a, a real nightclub ethic rather than a footballing ethic. Mm-hmm. Uh, players going to dentist appointments, quote, I mean, you, Mr. Fellaini, rather than turning up for practice. Yeah. And then Eden Hazard, your beloved Eden Hazard. Oh, he goes and eats a hamburger he rather is. than eating with the rest of the team. The one thing that's unified them and that will give all Belgians hope is the manager. War- Mark Wilhelm, the greatest nickname in football, Warpig. Get me my Warpig. Bring me my my Warpig. You bring Lionel Messi. We will roll out of bed with my Warpig and lay waste to you. Not just him. I mean, I interviewed him last year and he said to me, talent gets you so far, discipline is what you need to go all the way. And he has instilled an ethic of discipline. And he's chosen a leader, Dave, Vonson Company, Mm -hmm. a gentleman that defies categorization. He speaks... Both languages, uh, he says, yeah, I'm 100% Belgian, I'm 100% Congan. So he represents this new multicultural Belgium, and it's his leadership which is going to be critical. Yeah, that's the Wilmot's calls company the perfect man for a squad that's often been divided. He's from Brussels, he's black, speaks Flemish, French, English and German. He gives everything for the national team, even when he's injured, he wants to play. Has not, even though he made the Premier League team of the season, Rog, has not actually had a great season. For Manchester City. I'm glad you're speaking English and not Flemish as you tell me that. There are a couple of knocks on Belgium. They have created a wonder team, but somehow they have not promulgated good fullbacks. It's very hard to win the World Cup uh, without fullbacks. The other thing is that inexperience. You can win qualification, but the World Cup, you know, is a strange beast. Spending mm-hmm. seven weeks on a on an Xbox playing EA Sports yeah. with the same guys over and over again as you travel around the tournament, it's very hard to get that chemistry right. I actually have placed some money on Belgium to win the World Cup in a, uh, in a betting shop in London, uh, so I'm hoping that they're going to do rather well, but the only way to find out is by going to the cupcakes, Roger. Uh, you've got the Belgian cupcake, think- so you're going to tell me how they're going to do it. I've got the Dutch cupcake right here. I'll tell you how they're going to do it. Smells like Plastic Bertrand. I'll tell you. Oh, saffron pour moi. I'm tasting a quarterfinal. Mm, taste of juleps. Interesting. I'm tasting another quarterfinal. Quarterfinals for a low country. Hello. Okay, Rog, unfortunately, Grantland didn't have the budget to make a preview for every single team, so they told us we could only do nine or ten, and nine or ten contenders. And because we like to hedge our bets, we then had to start combining some countries. We. ICE had to start <laughs> combining some countries. And the first, uh, because I know that only a South American team has ever won the World Cup in South America, and I feel that a South American winner is quite likely... And if it's not Brazil or Argentina, who's it going to be? Chilombaguay. From the Grandland Studios in the crap part of Los Angeles, this is the Men in Blazers World Cup preview. Rog, Chilombaguay. Vamos, Chilombaguay. Yes, you know what? We've said a lot. Most likely, statistically, that a South American team will win the World Cup in South America. If it's not Brazil or Argentina, you've got to think that it's Chilombaguay. The combined <laughs> uh, countries of Chile, Colombia and Uruguay. Chile, Rog, it's the second largest producer of salmon in the world. And I thought they were just all about the sea bass. Thank you, Chile. Colombia, the drug trade, Rog, it's worth a $10 billion a year. And nearly 90% of the cocaine used in the U.S. originates in Colombia. Meanwhile, Uruguay, cattle outnumber people three to one, Rog. <sighs> They should be very, very proud. Their World Cup histories, 
kind of historic, but not very, very recent. This is Chile's ninth World Cup appearance. Their highest finish ever was third place in 1962. Colombia's fifth World Cup. Their best performance was in 1990 when they finished 14th. Uruguay. 1930 and 1950, they won the World Cup. Since then, 2010, they're in fourth place. Yeah, I mean Chile. Let's start with them. What a fascinating team! They've been、yeah. drawn in a group with the Netherlands,、mm-hmm. Spain, and Australia,、yeah. the European powerhouse, the defending champions, and the best team in Australia. <laughs> But everyone is looking at them and saying Chile will get out. Who else will emerge? Yeah,、the、tribute to them. There's a swagger about this team. Yeah,、It、comes from、say. Arturo Vidal. I adore that man. They call him Il Guerrero, the warrior.、Mm-hmm. A gorgeous bloke to look at play, and of course Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, well, they played England in a friendly in the fall, just after England had、uh, played pretty well in their final World Cup qualifying games and、uh, qualified for Brazil. They play a very complex game of football. They have、mm-hmm. Gary Medel of Cardiff, the、oh, pitbull,、yes. the man I adore him. He's got this head that's almost a perfect equilateral triangle, <laughs> and they play the Bielsian game. They play. A lot of pressing, a、yeah. lot of speed, a lot of movement down the flanks. It's an incredible philosophy. It's very bold. It's gorgeous on the eye. Yeah, Alexis Sanchez though genuinely could be a World Cup star. On to Colombia, Rog. First World Cup spot in 16 years for the coffee growers、uh, from Colombia, who rolled through qualifying, even routing Uruguay 4-0 on their way to earning 30 points from 16 matches, conceding only 13 goals in the brutal. Uh, Commonwealth qualifying. Many of us relate this Colombian team to that one of the 1994 World、oh. Cup. Valderrama, that beautifully made man who trotted yeah, around the field、right、like a luxurious chow chow. This team is anything but. This team is run by an Argentinian Peckerman. He's got them playing very defensive, very robust football. They're very pragmatic. They're built around Pereira and the captain Mario Yepes in defence.、Yeah. They're going to be a robust challenge for all comers. Yeah, and Falcao's injury, we still don't know if he's playing or not in the World Cup. And I think a lot of Colombia's fate is going to rest in how he recovers. Are they toothless without him? I mean, they got goals from other sources. David Collis, backer of Sevilla, Jackson、mm-hmm. Martinez from Porto. The kingmaker is going to be James Rodriguez, the playmaker.、Mm-hmm. Who is going to be the ace? This team will rise or、mm-hmm. fall with. Yeah, Uruguay, Rog, a tiny、uh, country. It is the Slovenia of the elimination round. 3.4 million people live in the country, but it somehow managed to become the Sears Roebuck of the World Cup. As I said, won it in 1930 and 1950. From a historical perspective, yeah. This is a team that struggled to qualify. I mean,、yeah. it has its problems. Its backline is aged. Diego Lugano is about as old as Bertrand Cooper. Yeah. And although they're blessed up front, they have Suarez. They have the most handsome man in the world, Diego、oh, Forlan. Handsome. They have Edison Cavani. The three of them don't interplay in their midfield. They truly lack a playmaker. Come down to one man though, Luis Suarez, just been named PFA、uh, Premier League Footballer of the Year. The Uruguayan has sullied his name in the Premier League through a. Racist incident against Patrice Evra of Manchester United, and then he bit a defenceless Serb Ivanovic of Chelsea on the arm. But he's come back big this season. Resigned at Liverpool in a resurgent Liverpool, has scored boatloads of goals in the Premier League this season, and seemed almost unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, Americans will remember him from the last World Cup. He was a gentleman who did the handball deliberately on the line to、yes. stop Garner. The thing I marvel about even more than his goal scoring is the number of teeth. He's able to fit into one set of human guns. He's like、yeah. the footballing Anne Hathaway.、Yeah. The honest truth is, they don't interplay well going forward. The midfield. I mean, it's kind of like they're doing the Lombarda when their forwards are trying to do the Nene. 1950, they went into Brazil. They shocked、mm-hmm. the nation. They won it all. That, despite Brazil having their winners' medals etched, and、mm-hmm. at least three of the Uruguayans admitting they urinated in their own shorts before kickoff out of fear. Real men. Real winners. Can they do it again? Well, look, we're going to go to the World Cupcakes. I've got two this time. I've got Chile and Colombia. Rog, you've got Uruguay.、Mm. Double fisting,、mm. David. Yeah. This one tastes like Luis Suarez's favourite dish: human flesh. I see a quarter-final place. I must say, Colombia. I don't see it for them. Uh, with the injury to Falcao, whether he plays or not, Chile though, I think they're very good. I think Chile, semi-final. I said it before. I said it again. Vamos Chilombaguay. Chilombaguay. I love these contractions. I got、yeah. really into it. I、yeah. came up with Cama Ivory Coagiria. <laughs> that's a good. Oh, that's a horrible disease you in- though. You don't want to call the country after that. Oh, it, it's a nasty rash.
and it's a little bit, it oozes, let me just say that. Um, I thought a lot about Portalance before I got to France de Gaulle. Yeah. Portalance, it just wasn't quite francophone enough. I felt France de Gaulle. Portalance, I actually trademarked. It's my new <laughs> boil uh, removal. You've got to lance your boil. Yeah. Who thought of lancing a boil? You know, that's, that takes you back to the medicine where they used to put that. The blood, you know, they used to drain the blood with leeches, David. Nothing wrong with that. You can leech a boil. I have no objection to that, but lancing it is another thing. Anyway. Frenchy girl. From the Grandland Studios in the crap part of Los Angeles, it's the Men in Blazers World Cup preview, Rog. Aujourd'hui, parabens. France, Ugal, Rog. The combined sporting nation that is France and Portugal. Uh, interestingly, Rog, France has participated in 168 major European wars since 387 BC, while Portugal, uh, they eat more fish and shellfish per person than any other country. Their football history, you know, both of them weren't great football nations, Rog. Uh, this is their 14th World Cup appearance for France. They won in 1998. In 2006, they finished in second place. In 58 and 86, they came in third. In 2010, they didn't make it past the group stage and finished 29th. Portugal is their sixth World Cup ever. At their first in 66, they finished in third place. In 2006, they finished in fourth place. What unifies these two countries, Rog, is that when we were growing up, neither France nor Portugal were really any good at football. Yeah, I mean, France, it's hard to imagine now, but they saw themselves as petit France, not a France who wins, a France qui gagne. 1982 with a platini team that lost. Oh, they smoked 20 <laughs> times more cigarettes that than they scored That was just at half-time, but yeah. they were phenomenal. West Germany trumped them in the semi-final. The French nation adored them, for they fulfilled their nation of a little, tiny team that was plucky in defeat. 1998, Zidane and his black... Blanc and Burr team, his yeah. black, white and Arab team that united briefly France in a multicultural vision of itself. It changed everything. Yeah, their World Cup, the World Cup they were hosting. And they won. Yeah. And from then on, France has seen itself as a true power who expects victory, but they've had a very erratic record. Well, their pattern. This no. is the France pattern. Win it in 1998, crap, in 2002. Get to the final, 2006, crap, in 2010. Based on the pattern, Rog, trademark pending, le pattern, they are going to do very, very well in 2014. Because they did so terribly in 2010. Exactly, that is le pattern. In, in South Africa, their manager believed in astrological charts rather than tactics. The team mutinied in public before the eyes of the world as they looked on. It was a meltdown in true <laughs> French style. It was so dark. Le Patton says they're going to do incredibly well. And you look at that squad, oh David. Good. Ribéry, Pogba, Loris, Koscielny, Benzema, Giroud, Kabay, uh, Matuidi. They have amazing, amazing footballers. It's surprising that we don't talk about them more as being contenders. It's surprising that they only got into this World Cup via the playoffs and yeah. they come from behind glorious victory against Ukraine. They, they lack a settled first eleven. They have an incredible amount of talent, but they have no hierarchy. They have no leadership. At Euro 2012, the team had no identity. They had no will. OK, on to Portugal, Rog. You know what? I don't remember when they became a football team. They were like Scotland. They're about as good at football as Scotland when we were growing up. You just looked at them as a source for great sunny golf and a glass of port. Louis Figo, the Lion King, came in with his golden generation and Best changed everything. Best footballer since Eusebio in the 1966 World Cup. And since then... Portugal has become a mainstay in Donetsk, yeah. Euro 2012. I had the honour of moving into the Portuguese team hotel oh, just hours year. after they'd vacated it. It took me about three weeks to waft the Dracar out of my clothing into which it's permeated. Uh, I mean, it's an odd team, Davo. When you talk about Portugal, and we do talk about Portugal because they've been drawn in the US's group, there's not a lot of depth there, Davo. And you ask yourself, what are you afraid about when it ultimately comes down to one man? Yep, Cristiano Ronaldo, CR7, Rog. You know, not a man, he's not performing. Just won the Ballon d'Or, Rog. He's not ever had a great World Cup. He's not necessarily ever had a great major tournament. And he really carries this entire team on his pumped-up shoulders. Absolutely. And most Americans will know him only as the gentleman on the front cover of Vanity Fair in an incredibly snug-fitting pair of undies. Few human beings fall over like this man. In the NBA, you have players who actually flop. Cristiano Ronaldo just feels gravity more than any other human being. But this has been his season. 
He's become uh, the dominant player. He's got the upper hand from Lionel Messi. Yeah. He's played 10 games at the World Cup in the past. He's scored mm-hmm. only twice. And you kind of feel this is his chance to write himself into history and to reach the levels that Maradona and Pele have. Well, he travels with a Floyd Mayweather-sized entourage, Rog. Four private planes uh, follow him around wherever he goes. Um, the team have hired six private detectives to travel everywhere uh, with the team. Four of those detectives have been earmarked for Ronaldo. Here's the closest thing world football gets to Beatlemania, Roger. Uh, I mean, the question is for Ronaldo, who is going to help him? He has his yeah. Real Madrid teammate, Fabio Contraro, yeah. who will bomb up and down the flanks. You have Veloso, you have Matinho, yeah. who graft away in the midfield. Raul Morales will bring his rancid, rotting mohawk out for one more major tournament. And, of mm-hmm. course, you have worldwide wrestlings. Pepe will be trying to break limbs at every opportunity in the back. Who is going to score the goals? Well, yet another team without a striker, Rod. Uh, you have Postiga who will be trying to score goals again. He's a gentleman who makes Brad Friedel look young. Old man Friedel. This is going to be a little bit watching Ronaldo like watching Kobe. Uh, with a very bad Lakers team trying to carry it on his shoulders night after night. So how are they both going to do, Rog? There's only one way to tell other than Le Patton. You've got a French cupcake, I've got a Portuguese cupcake. Let's tuck in. Mmm. Mmm. Oh. Oh. It tastes like Dracon Noir. Well, I'm surprised. Semi-finals for Portugal for me. Yeah, I see a quarter-final exit. Affect dignity! OK, Rog, after 48 straight hours in the studio with no sleep, having done our team previews, yes. we moved on to the groups. <laughs> At this point, I still had not reminded you about your cuffs. Yeah. Um, and they actually seem... I think you secretly derive great pleasure. Well, actually, I've been watching the videos, not for the football content suboptimal, not for the amazing animation Grantland did. Yeah. Just fixating on your beady eyes. I'm too busy I'm, looking at my cards. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a moment. I'm pretty sure there's a moment when we're doing Italy cuts. when you notice your eyes, the, your pupils dilated a little yeah. bit in joy. You just nodded to yourself and kept on going. I'm amazed I didn't notice. Well, I mean, I do refer you to the comments I made earlier that each man is responsible for his own cuffs. But, um... Your flies open, David. I'm amazed, it's See? not, I'm amazed that when there we moved you. on to Group A there and I you. looked at Group A, that in Group A, your cuffs do appear to be even longer than they were on day two than they were on day one when we were just doing the teams. Cuff fatigue. Anyway, Group A, it's going to be a good one. From the Grantland Studios in the crap part of Los Angeles, it's the Men in Blazers World Cup preview. Group A, Rog, Brazil, Cameroon, Shrimp River, Croatia <laughs> and Mexico. Oh, we love a Group A. Oh, a is for Ayrton Senna. Yeah. Adriana Lima. Yeah. An advantage home team. We're talking about advantage home team. Let's start right at the beginning. The big game of the group, Rog. The opening game of the tournament, June 12, 2014. Shalaba, laba, 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 laba time. Brazil versus Croatia in the Arena de Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo, Brazil. A fitting place for this team to try and take its first steps on a march to redemption. Yeah. They're trying to heal that septic wound inflicted on the nation in 1950 when they last hosted and failed to land the big one. Even if you hate soccer, yeah. tune in for this one. The national anthem alone, you will not hear anything more beautiful. It's like Les Miserables. Can you hear the children sing yeah. in Portuguese? And also for your young kids, if they're learning their colours, it's a very good time to learn the colour yellow from the Brazil shirt and look at the insane pyjama tops that the Croatian team Anna are Winter, wearing to play Anna football. Anna Winter's favourite football jersey. <laughs> it really is. Oh, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. OK, June 17th, Rog. Brazil faces Mexico. Mexico in the heat of Fortaleza, a chance for the hosts to heal another open wound. How many open septic wounds can one nation well, we have? love an open septic you wound. You are referring to the Olympics. Yeah. When Mexico shot Brazil. I know, two years ago, Mexico were amazing. Who would have thought that, David? Because their narratives have flipped so much since then. Brazil yeah. seem to be descending into madness. Instead, yeah. they've redeemed themselves through the Confederation Cup glory. And Mexico, Davo, in CONCACAF, they had to qualify through the playoffs. This yeah. team's qualification was a hot mess. They became blunt up front. They disposed of coaches like spinal tap drummers. Mm-hmm. You're going to love the coach they've come oh. up with. He's imposed an identity. He's imposed a sense of direction. Miguel Herrera, Croatia, often fancied, rarely menacing. What are you expecting from them this time? They had problems scoring in qualification. Yeah. They're not going to be helped that their striker, Bayern Munich's Mario Mandzukic, 
is going to be suspended for the first game. They could barely score with him. They do have one of the best midfielders at the World Cup, Luka Modric, who also has the advantage of looking more like a medieval witch than any player in the history of football. So they're going to be playing in Manaus and Recife, Dave. The hot. first game, it's like going to be Hotter playing on the hot. surface of Mars. Yeah. Second one, they'll be better off playing it inside a microwave oven. In this battle for second place, this three-way battle for second place, Cameroon. Cameroon do have a couple of intangibles going for them. I love their national anthem, Dave. A cradle of our forefathers, their tears and blood and sweat, their soil did water on the hills and valleys once their tillage rose. Oh, I love it when a tillage rises. Philip Larkin wrote an anthem. Shrimp River. The indomitable lion, Samuletto, 53 years old, Rod, still trying to bring it in the World Cup. What kind of a Samuletto are we going to see there? Alex Song is a useful player. Arsenal fans, Premier League fans, you'll know all about him. I like their goalkeeper, Rod, Charles Itanje, but I worry that he's going to be quite busy. One intangible to watch for, Rod, in Group A. The team's going to be racking up so many miles around this enormous continent of a nation. Brazil are going to be clocking up 8,000 clicks just on their own from their base camp to their games. It's all going to be not just about who can bring it on the field, but who can recover on the off days in between. We all know that FIFA fixes the World Cup, Rog. It is known. And you have insight. You've spent time uh, around FIFA headquarters in Switzerland. Tell us, how it's, tell us how it's going to finish. Spoiler alert. Yeah. In reverse order, Cameroon, uh-huh. Mexico, and the two that will move on. Croatia and Brazil. Uh, See, I have Mexico moving above Croatia. They just have a way of bringing it at World Cups. Que massa. Okay, Rog, we're about to jump in the car, go back up to Bristol, Connecticut. I think we can say, we're going to be on SportsCenter. Possibly. Really? Possibly. (laughs) Really? Are we driving up there to possibly be on SportsCenter? In which case, I don't want to go. Dave, I I would go on a road trip with you anyway, Dave. Got your back. We're going to listen to the 80s channel on Sirius. There's yep. no doubt about it. Yep. We're going to put a uh, siren on the roof like the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. And we're going to drive past Stamford, Connecticut. Afterwards, can we please go for a Guinness? With Rebecca Lowe. That's what I really want to do. Oh, I'd love one right now. Yeah. Um, so uh, next week we'll be back. We'll finish off the groups next yep. week. Uh, talk about the, uh, the friendly this weekend against Turkey. England have a friendly against Peru. 5-0 Peru. 1-1. Disappointing injuries. Baines and Shaw, both out injured. Thank Frantic calls Milner. to Ashley Cole. Uh, you can follow us at meninblazers.com. Send your emails to meninblazers at gmail.com. Send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Follow us at Embassy Davis, at Roger Bennett, at Men in Blazers. Like us on Facebook. Love you, David. Love you, Roger. Kung Fu Fine America. War pig. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs... Subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.